Welcome to Take Your Stand, the podcast of Here I Stand Ministries. I'm your host, Luke Seibert. Let's explore more of what it means to live out the gospel by clinging to the Word and to one another. Here we are, episode three of our season about how we got the Bible. Over the past few weeks, we've been considering the question, whose word is it? And we've been seeing sort of the, the, the overarching theological concept that the Bible is the word of God. And in specific instances where he had commanded a certain men like Moses, Isaiah, even John to, to write. There's just a, a few examples to, to help us understand that this is God's word. It is not a human invention. So with that foundation, we're able to dig a little bit more into the history. And so we're going to start getting into that uh, uh, hopefully next week. we got a little bit more foundation this week, but uh, we'll start getting into the, uh, the more of the history next week, which I'm really looking forward to. But uh, we're getting, now getting to the part where we're able to reconstruct the journey of how the individual books of the Bible, uh, how they came uh, to us. So a quick definition right here at the beginning is uh, the term autographs. It's not Paul signing his name at the end of an epistle. Uh, an autograph in the world of textual criticism with this, the study of texts and how we got them, it's not higher criticism where we're questioning the Bible and trying to come up with a human explanation for different things. Uh, it's just examining the manuscripts of the Bible and comparing texts with each other. So it's that, that's what that term means. But autographs in the world of textual criticism refer to the original documents, uh, what pa- Paul originally wrote, uh, originally the scroll that Jeremiah wrote. Those original documents are the autographs. A manuscript is a copy of an autograph in the original language. So an, uh, a Greek manuscript obviously is a copy of the Greek autographs or a copy of another Greek manuscript, but still in Greek. And those are going to be some important things to point out. Uh, those terms, which I'll be referring to and kind of refreshing uh, in episodes that come up. But just real quick, wanted to lay that out. And so the uh, the autographs, they were originally written on either papyrus or vellum. Uh, those were the common mediums at the time that were able to be that were able to be used in, in the writing. For the Old Testament, it was the, they wrote on papyrus or, or vellum in the form of scrolls. They weren't books that we think of today. Sometimes the smaller books would be compiled together. Uh, For example, the minor prophets were often grouped together into the Book of the Twelve. There was was an accumulation, but it was still in scroll format. But by the time we come to the New Testament, we see the rise of the Codex, which is basically sheets of papyrus or sheets of vellum that are stitched together, like a book that we consider today. And that became very popular uh, for uh, Christian writings in, in the Roman era. And so there was that transition away from the scroll to the, the codex. And these are terms that we uh, use. Papyrus and codex are two, two very important terms that we'll be referring to in future episodes. So, I just, But like I said, I'll, I'll refresh about these definitions when they come up again, but just laying that foundation work. Another thing to consider here, uh, it doesn't really uh, affect the history of the book, but an interesting thing to consider is that uh, some writers use, um, some of us to write for them, they, they dictated, and also, uh, I can't pronounce the word, but 
they had someone else write down for them. For example, in Jeremiah 36, verse 4, Baruch wrote at the dictation of Jeremiah that uh, Jeremiah was hearing the word from the Lord, and he was writing that he was uh, dictating to Baruch all the words that God had uh, told him to, to speak to Israel up to that point, and Baruch was writing them down. And when we compare Romans 1 with 16:22, we see that uh, Tertius is the man is the scribe who wrote the book of Romans at the dictation of Paul. Now, Paul was the human author, but uh, uh, Tertius was the one who was actually putting pen to to, to paper or papyrus or whatever he was using at that time. Then let's talk. So we've talked about the the autographs and to kind of point that out what that term means. Talked a little bit about the material that the, the these books were written on. And the next thing we want to point out is the languages. And uh, this episode, I'm sure, is uh, is an, a refresher of terms that are, a lot of people may be familiar with already. But are just wanted to lay the groundwork so that we're all speaking about the same thing. We're on the same page. So those who are following this this journey. So the, the next thing I want to point out is the languages. Is that the Old Testament was written predominantly in Hebrew. I think a lot of people recognize that. But there were some passages that were written in Aramaic. Um, there are a few places in the New Testament as well. But they show up mostly in, in the Old Testament. Uh, the, some of the major places are, are Ezra 4 verse 8 through chapter 6 verse 18. Ezra 7 verse 12 through 26. In Daniel 2, verse 4 through 7, 28, are the, the, the largest passages that are written in Aramaic there. And then when it comes to the New Testament, it's written in Greek, but a very specific and a very a fascinating form of Greek called Koine Greek or Common Greek. And this is extremely significant for when it com- uh, for our study of translations. It's Bruce Metzner. Uh, and uh, oh, excuse me, FF Bruce spends a good bit of time talking about that, which I'll reference here uh, in future episodes as we start talking about translation philosophy and why it's important to have translations that are in the language of the people. And it's it's very foundational. We'll get into maybe have an episode talking about that. And uh, it's, just, it's a really fascinating study, but that that God was speaking to His people in the language that they understood. That it wasn't an outdated form of language. It was what the common person was speaking of the day. He wanted his word to be understood. And so it, he, he chose Koine Greek, not classical Greek. They're, they're related. They are similar. But Koine Greek is much more, at the time of Jesus, what, or at the time of the writing of the New Testament, was what the common person was speaking. So that, that is a, a very significant a point to remember, which we'll reference again in future episodes. Those are some of the overarching foundational points we wanted to make about the manuscript or the autographs and the manuscripts as well. Was that the what they were written on, the media, the, the way they were written down. So whether it was on papyrus scroll or uh, a codex, those terms will become up quite a bit. And then uh, Koine Greek. So those are the, the, the main sort of takeaways from that section. Did want to bring a little bit of history into this so it wasn't just a complete episode of definitions. In this point, we're going to come back to and circle back to, to you later on. But the principle that God always preserves his word, that he, he communicated his message through men by the Holy Spirit to a particular people. But it wasn't just for them. It was for a time to come as well. 
and he has always preserved his word. It, manuscripts may have been hidden, they may have been lost for a time, but they're never completely destroyed. That God will always make sure that his word is preserved. Uh, two examples here from scripture. In 2 Kings chapter 22, verses 8 and 11, uh, the book of the law had been lost for some time. Uh, a lot of idolatry had crept into Israel. The temple had fallen into disrepair. Israel did not really know what it, Judah did not really know what it meant to follow the Lord anymore. They, they weren't searching the scriptures. They didn't even know where the scriptures were at. did not know what God required of them. And so when a new king arises, Josiah, this young king, and he, the Lord moves him to begin restoring the temple. And so he moves Hilkiah, uh, Josiah, orders Hilkiah, the priest, and some of these others, and the other men to start overseeing it and start doing the work. And as they're doing the work, Hilkiah finds the book of the law. And there, there's this, he comes and he reads it, said just, is read before Josiah. Uh, Josiah realizes how far they have drifted away from the Lord. And there's this great time of repentance, a restoration of the temple, of the Passover uh, celebration. Just so much of a revival in Judah when the law is found. It had been lost for a time, but then it was, re but then it was discovered. God worked events so that his, his word was found and it, uh, directed his people but that wasn't the only time that God's preserved his word if you remember from earlier in this podcast we talked about Jeremiah how Jeremiah wrote at the uh, he dictated to Baruch who wrote the words down so Baruch did that and Baruch begins to read that scroll well the king at the time hated Jeremiah and did not want to follow the Lord and so he uh, he his officers, they, they find the scroll and they bring it and they start reading it before him. And Jeremiah 36, verses 1 and, uh, excuse me, 21, 21 through 23, and also 27, 28. Jehoiakim, he, as it's being read, he starts cutting it off and throwing it into the fire. And he completely destroys the scroll that Baruch has written. And it seems like all those words are lost. <laughs> the Lord wasn't going to let that happen. The Lord raises up Jeremiah again and says, have Baruch write it down again. And he moves it, and they, he, Jeremiah dictates it, Baruch writes it again, and there's another scroll written that God was not going to allow uh, one man to destroy his word, that he was going to preserve his word, and it wasn't, it wasn't going to be lost forever. It wasn't going to just be cut off. That Yes, it may be hidden for a time, like it was with Josiah, but the Lord had, would preserve it, and it was found. And there's other instances of that throughout history, which are really just a fascinating study, which we'll get into. But these are just some foundational points I wanted to bring out that are going to be the, the, some building blocks that we'll use and tie some of these things together in future episodes. And I know this this week was maybe a little drier in terms of definitions and a little bit slower. It wasn't very much history. I'm trying to think about how we got the Bible, but there are some foundational concepts and making sure that we're talking about the same thing when we talk about autographs or manuscripts that we know exactly what we're talking about. And then also some foundational principles that God was communicating his message to his people in the language of the common person. They didn't have to be the super educated elite to understand it or to know this old, outdated dialect. It was in language of the people that they could understand. And that God will always preserve his word. Maybe hidden for a time, but it's never fully destroyed. He will preserve it. And he, ha he has preserved it in many ways and looked at a few examples from scripture 
So Lord willing, next week, we're going to start getting into the history. We're going to start talking about the Septuagint, which is uh, really pivotal um, f for this discussion in about translation. And Septuagint just runs throughout the tr throughout the discussion of translations for, for quite some time. And so it's going to come up in multiple episodes. But we'll look at how the Septuagint came about. What is it? Why is it so significant? And its role even in, in uh, the New Testament. And so I'm looking forward to being able to share that with, with you all next week, Lord willing. But this week, in terms of the book that I've read, wanted to share Worship by the Book. It's edited by D.A. Carson. It's he, he wrote the introduction, and there's some other authors who helped write it as well. We have Mark Ashton, R. Kent Hughes, and Timothy Keller. And this is a great book about the philosophy of worship. Uh, D.A. Carson does a great job with rooting our worship in terms of all of life that worship is worship is not just what happens on sunday morning or even sunday night that it is a lifestyle this book is though is taking that understanding and saying yes there they acknowledges there is a, spe a special form of worship that takes place when the saints gather together and let's look at the how does scripture how, how can we take scripture and apply it in our various contexts to be able to worship the lord and so it comes from a couple different contextual backgrounds. I have some authors who are Anglican, uh, from a Presbyterian background, also from the Reformed tradition, and how they bring some of their uh, how their different interpretations of Scripture and applications uh, to, to bear upon this uh, concept of worship with the church. It, it's re it was really a fascinating read. It's it's not a huge book, but it's uh, not something you're just gonna sit down and just read. It's not a light read per se. But it's quite thought-provoking. It's written, I feel, it's more written more for someone who's thinking about how to help lead a church in worship or sort of leading the church. But it is also reflective for any, anyone in the congregation who wants to read and understand how do we as a local church, how, how can we as a local church seek to worship God? And they're very clear they're not trying to tell you this is the order you have to do it. They're trying to stimulate reflection. And think about in your specific context, how does the word of God come to bear, and, and how is God leading you, and leading the particular church to to worship, and to just to structure the worship. And so it includes some sample liturgies. Again, not trying to dictate this is how you ought to follow, but trying to show how this, their explanations. How is it? How is it applied in a, a couple of different church services? So it, it's a really good good resource. I mean, it's um, caused me to reflect a lot, uh, uh, moved me to want to consider examining some things a little deeper, uh, some aspects I have not considered before. So it's uh, what I'll look at uh, going back again and reflecting on some more and continuing on with the research. But I enjoyed it and I recommend it. Even just if you wanted to kind of read D.A. Carson's introduction about what worship really is. It's not just what happens on Sunday morning. It's a way of life. And our attitude and position before God. And so was, that was a really good reflection and really caused me to, to think. So, yeah, it's about the book and it's Worship by the Book, edited by D.A. Carson, with a few other people. I'll put the link there in the description. But thank you all for listening to the podcast. And like I said, we'll be starting to the more of the actual history of how we got the Bible, Lord willing, next week. But I appreciate people listening to the podcast. If And until next time, read the word and take your stand. 
Thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope it was an encouragement and a blessing. To find out more information about Here I Stand Ministries, check out hisministries.com. Scripture quotations are from the NASB, the New American Standard Bible, copyright 1971-1995 by the Lockman Foundation, used by permission, all rights reserved.